0: Good morning and welcome to Holy Trinity. Welcome to everyone who is here gathered in the sanctuary and welcome to everyone who's home uh, watching in and taking part in the service today. We hope you'll feel really at home. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 18.10 that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are safe. And that uh, name of the Lord in my Bible, it gets capitalized with a capital N because that name means something. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and that we can go to him. He is strong, he is faithful, he is someone we can depend on. When things in the world seem a bit of a mess, when things are difficult, when you're struggling, when things seem dark, we can come to the one name that is above it all who cares about you cares about what goes on in your life and loves you with an everlasting love. So thanks so much for joining us this morning, we're we're so excited to be here. There are a couple of notices, just to let you know, it wouldn't be Holy Trinity without uh, notices. Just to let you know, we're having our annual stated meeting, our ASM, on Thursday uh, the 3rd of December at 7.30pm. It's going to be on Zoom. Uh, That's a meeting where uh, the Congregational Board and the Elders will meet together for that and we'll be signing off the accounts and also be encouraged from, um, from what is happening and what our situation is. Um, you can be part of that as well, there's, there's, there's no three line whip to do it but you can be part of that and see what is uh, going on. It'll be a bit different from usual years because usually we have it as part of the service but that's going to be on Thursday the 3rd of December. We're coming into Advent from next week, and so it's the Christmas countdown. And one of the things we love to do is to reach out into our community. And that is gonna be a little bit different at this time Um, because of the pandemic. We can't go into the shopping center and uh, sing carols. We can't uh, go and uh, and go out onto the streets in the same way, but we will be going out uh, on a prayer walk. And the Scottish Bible Society, they've been preparing uh, Luke's Gospels for Christmas written especially for this year 2020 and for the pandemic and uh, we'll be delivering them right throughout Wester Hills uh, with good news of Jesus Christ. So that's going to be on Saturday the 12th of December. So I'm just telling you to put it in your diaries and I'll let you know a bit, a bit about that over the coming weeks. It's really good that we can still uh, reach out. I've also to, been asked to just say to you, many of you join us after the service when you're from home uh, in, in a time of fellowship together online and that's really wonderful. Uh, last week we had a bit of a glitch and it came on the live stream and uh, some of you are a little bit worried about that. That won't happen happen again um, and so don't worry if you're going on to the, the fellowship after the service, uh, nobody else will be able to see that except for the congregation uh, and you'll be able to share together and pray together uh, in groups. We're going to worship God and it's so good uh, that we have a uh, we band with us and we're going to worship god with the lord's my shepherd i will trust in you alone and after the introduction you're very welcome to stand to raise your arms to god and to lift up your hearts to him let's worship the lord Let's come before God in prayer. Let's bow our heads and in His presence, maybe take this opportunity in your own hearts to tell God who is here, what's the comfort you need to know today. Our Father in heaven, as we gather together in your nearer presence. We thank you for that call that you give to trust you. It was a call to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, a call to Moses, it was a call to the disciples from the Lord Jesus Christ to come to trust you, and it's the call you make to us today, that in the midst of every circumstance of life, even in the parts that we don't understand and we struggle with, the parts we wonder why they've not happened yet, and the parts that definitely haven't worked out the way we had hoped, you invite us to come and to put our trust in you. Lord, to be invited to trust anyone means being proved worthy of trust in the first place, and there's no one else who has been proven more worthy of trust than you. Your promises are so sure, and you will always bring your purposes about, that they will even carry on beyond this life, beyond this world, beyond death into eternal life with you. We come and we humble ourselves before you. We remind ourselves, because of what your word teaches us, not to do what the nation of Israel did, that they trusted in horses and chariots, but decided, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. And we're not, Lord, to trust in any earthly relationships. We're not to trust uh, in our own abilities or strength. We're not to trust in science, as wonderful and merciful and kind as all these things are. We are to trust in you, the living God. So Lord, give us the gift of faith today that we might find all our worries fall into the ground. We might find your peace entering in by your Holy Spirit. That we would know you're here. And we'll go from this place saying, I've put my trust in the Lord, he will not fail me. And Lord would you hear us as we pray now, that kingdom prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. As we say together, our Father who art in heaven, Well, we're really glad this year to have someone who's on placement with us, uh, training to be an ordained local minister, uh, an OLM, and she's called Nikki Kirkland, and you've probably met her online, but I think it's the first time that you're coming up uh, and sharing with us in the sanctuary, and she's gonna be sharing in the all age address. So let's uh, welcome Nikki, come on up.
1: Um, I, I've been really silly and decided to use a huge prop this morning, so that's going to be helpful. <laughs> so, yeah, good morning, everyone. It's so wonderful to be here with you. Um, and uh, my name is Nikki. Um, I was thinking about the, the All Age talk, and what had started me off was listening to Rita last week. Um, and. We were hearing about the, the people in Nehemiah 8 and how they were crying. And they'd been listening to the, um, the law of God being read to them, and they were just weeping. Um, and it just oh it, it just sounded so horrific to kind of be something they were really having to, to confess your sins to God. And oh it, was just, it really sort of stirred something in me. And so I was trying to think what, what it was that had really sort of spoke to me about that. Um, And then I started reading Nehemiah 9, you know, because it made sense for me to sort of read the next chapter. And again, the people were standing around, and they were, uh, for six hours, they were confessing their sins, and and, and God's law was being read to them. Now, this doesn't sound like easy things to do. And the thing that really gave me hope was when I, I turned to the commentary, and it said to me that the whole thing that Nehemiah really wanted to do was allow the people to see that um, when they were hearing the law, that they could associate God's will with delight. And all of a sudden, I calmed down. (laughs) And I just loved this idea of associating God's will with delight. And it made me think of this image of of a path it's how, I, it's how I imagine what it is to follow God, this high, high mountaintop with sheer and um, steep sides on either side of me. Now, as somebody that really doesn't like heights, that doesn't sound like a comforting thought, but this is where my props come in. <laughs> when you think of God's law as, as something that you can delight in, it gives you a way to handle these steep mountain tops. So I spoke to my sister, And she's a climber. This is not my gear. So she gave me all these ropes. Ropes, just like excellent. And then she gave me the rest of the bag. She had her helmet in it. And then the bit that she was really proud of (laughs) was this. This is what she goes climbing with. I think she's quite crazy, um, but she loves it. And the thing thing that I really enjoyed, I was telling her what I was thinking about, God's will, um, this image of being up a mountain and and being on this path with steep sides, and obviously she got quite excited. Um, And the way that she phrased uh, the, the equipment for her, I think sums up beautifully this idea of delighting in God's will. She said to me that when she started climbing, all this equipment looks quite daunting. But as she got familiar with it, as she knew what each bit was to do, because I genuinely, I'm just like, oh, I pin my dog to the car with a carabiner so she doesn't fall around. No, no, that's not how this works. As she gets familiar with it and she understands what she's doing with it, she now knows that when she climbs that she's safe she can have fun, she can maybe do some silly things, and she knows that she's going to be okay. And I think that that's what Nehemiah was really wanting the people to understand. As they were reading God's law, he wanted them to uh, rejoice in it, to feast, to see that God's not trying to restrict them, that as they walk this path on this mountaintop, that with the correct equipment, instead of focusing on the path and trying to work out where each foot is going to be placed, that you can actually hold your head up high and feast in all the beautiful pictures and scenery and stuff that God wants to show you. You can focus your eyes on God and delight in his presence. And the thing that was so wonderful was um, the reading the, the commentary, um, I, I hadn't sort of noticed that it sort of said... Um, Nehemiah wanted the people to delight, like in the Psalms. And then it listed a pile of Psalms. And God is so good, because I had sort of just read briefly over it, being like, wow, there's a lot of Psalms, obviously. Um, But when I was reading through um, some stuff this week, I kind of Googled God's paths. And one of the Psalms came up, and I'm going to read it to you. Just um, two verses. So Psalm 16, verse 8 and verse 11 and it says i have set the lord always before me because he is at my right hand and i shall not be shaken you make me known you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore i think that is so beautiful i really just loved reading this and then i was so happy to find that one of the psalms that was listed in the commentary was this one and i was like good job, God, you're really speaking to me this week. But the thing that I loved was the, this continuing this idea of my picture of the path on the mountaintop with the very scary steep slides is that I don't have to focus on them because by focusing on God and focusing on his path, I can get pleasure in his presence. I can delight in him. I can feast and I can find joy in it. Even though when at times like what we were reading in Nehemiah, there's maybe weeping and sorrow. God still wants us to delight in him. And the thing that really sort of sparked this idea in me was um, what Rita had said last week, that we can um, come into a, a divine source of human fellowship with God. I love that phrase um, at when, when Rita said that last week. By, by focusing on God's will and finding delight in it, we come into this divine human fellowship with God. And I just thought that was so wonderful. So when we're reading about listening to God's law, and it may sound overwhelming to stand for six hours and confess our sins, don't, be, don't feel put off by that. Focus on God and find delight in the fact that he is equipping us with his word. He's giving us all the tools that we need to delight in his will. Let's pray. Loving God, I thank you that you don't leave us just on our own, on that mountaintop to try and work out what our path is. You are so happy to stand next to us, to guide us, to allow our eyes to be focused on you. Lord God, I pray that we find pleasure in your presence and delight in your will. In your name, Mm. amen. Amen.
0: Amen. thanks Nikki I'm going to invite Aaron to come on up come on up Aaron it is a a wonderful thing just to think that we can delight ourselves in the Lord and there's a promise attached to that Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart now I'm welcoming onto the couch today or the couches um I'm allowed to take this off why have I kept it um I'm going to couches Aaron Black and Aaron You are just one of uh, the most delightful, joy-filled Christians I know. If that doesn't embarrass you, just so full of joy. And uh, sorry about the echo that I'm hearing. Hopefully it's not too bad over there. And, uh, but for those who don't know you, just tell us a little bit about who you are. Okay.
2: I'm Aaron, Um, I'm a member of the congregation here. Um, I'm married to Joe, who's the, the children and young people's ministry leader here as well. I have two children, Finley and Molly, who are at home and probably raising havoc at this particular juncture. Yeah.
0: But, uh, <laughs> there we very, are. very good. And uh, you have a, a fascinating job title, which is <laughs> fraud investigator.
2: No. <laughs> no. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Wrong. Uh, is that not right? Uh, no. No. Um, well. So my title is that I am a Fraud and Financial Crime Prevention Oversight Manager. That takes up the whole interview just to (laughs) say that one title. Basically I work for a bank and my job is that, you know, within that bank there are hundreds of processes and thousands of people that are in charge of making sure that um, money is not used fraudulently, that people aren't having their money stolen. And my job, along with a couple of other people, um, is to make sure that the processes are really well designed to make sure that those things happen and the people know what they're doing so that's kind of what I do a lot of spreadsheets
0: yes well last week Haley was sharing a testimony of uh, coming to God having never gone to church in her life uh, her parents uh, did not know the Lord and, uh, and that miraculous move. But it was a little bit different for you growing up. Tell us about where you grew up and, and a little bit about your testimony.
2: Sure, so I, I'm American. I, I grew up in America and moved over to this country when I was 17. Um, but my, um, my story is, is that my family, on both sides of the family, have been Christians. So I grew up very much in the heart of the church um, one of my grandfathers was a minister. Um, my my mom and dad are just the most delightful Christian people. That they're my faith hero like my dad is wise and kind and funny, and my mom just overflows with grace and joy. She's just wonderful to be around. And so, you know, for my brothers and I growing up, uh, you know, we were able to see God's love worked out in our daily life. That, you know, God was at, at the center of our home life. He was part of everything that we did, from setting off on journeys to meal times to um, interacting with each other. Um, it, that's not to say that we were, you know, we squabbled all the time, like all brothers do, and gave the occasional wedgie. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I there was, I, I, was the good one. But, <laughs> 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 um, it, but um, I, in all that, I think it, you know, there was just this, I guess, air of grace in 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 everything that happened, you know, we knew that we would fall out, we knew that we would get things wrong, but that was something that we could move beyond, that that wasn't the end, that, you know, we could forgive and move on and be corrected and move on. And uh, that's, you know, been profoundly helpful and and wonderful for me.
0: I mean, it's one of the most wonderful privilege is that as a young person you would be surrounded by the love of God right from the start and there wouldn't be a time where God wasn't spoken about and that's a, a wonderful privilege. Um, but sometimes people can call that a sort of cultural Christianity where you're surrounded by it. How, how did you know it was real for you?
2: So I think, when, as I say, when, when I was 17 we moved over to this country and we came from, I guess, you know when I was at school in America, a lot of the, the kids that I was at school with would be in my Sunday school or would be in other Sunday schools and things like that. And it wouldn't it wasn't uncommon to be a Christian. And suddenly we landed in Blackpool. Um, shout out to Mike Taylor. Um, but, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we landed in Blackpool and it, it was, different from that. So I think I, you know, I, there were very few Christians in my school. Um, it was seen as quite an odd thing to do, to, to kind of go to church. But even within the act of worship itself, it was quite different as well. So even today, during Christmas, during Advent, when we're singing hymns, I have to remind myself to sing the UK version of the song. <laughs> like the songs are all different. The prayers are slightly different. Uh, it just felt different, I think, you know, um, than than it had done. And so I think that was the point when probably, certainly for me and I I imagine for the rest of my family as well, we had to kind of like do a check to say, okay, this is actually what we believe. This is, you know, this is real for us um, and this is why. And to think that through um, and to make that conscious decision not to just, you know, continue on in, in what we are doing, but to actually make that definite choice to say this is um, important to me, my faith in the Lord Jesus is is the center of my life, and He's my Lord. Um, so that that was
0: that's wonderful. That. So moving to Blackpool, the sort of Las Vegas of England, apparently, <laughs> absolutely, uh, it would have been a bit of a culture shock, um, <laughs> and things were 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 very different. Uh, what was it like uh, being a Christian in school, for instance?
2: Um, yeah, it was. Uh, so the, the church that I, or, sorry, the school that I went to had um, a church. It was a, a kind of a, a church school. So we would, you know, we would troop off to chapel on a Friday, or was it a Wednesday? It's a long time ago. Uh, we would troop over off to, to chapel once a week, but but certainly within, you know, to have a professing faith within the, you know, the the group of peers that I was in was was very strange for them um, to to see somebody that would actually choose to you know, make choices based on what hopefully God would want them to be doing. So that was quite, quite strange, I think, for them.
0: And then you went off to university. And uh, I know for myself, going to university, suddenly um, you were surrounded by all kinds of new temptations. Um, going off there um, a couple of our own young people have gone off to university right now, and it's not an easy situation right now um, And uh, we remember them in prayer some of them are locked in their holes and things like that But going off to university was that the time where you really nailed your colors to the mass for Jesus?
2: well, so interestingly so um, We I went off to the University of St. Andrews and uh, um, Evidently in Fresh's week, so this is the first time I'm I'm footloose and fancy free I'm 18 years old and the world is my oyster. I can make all sorts of choices um, Whatever I want to do But the Lord is so good in his provision. So he um, he evidently a message had gotten from the church that we'd been going to in Blackpool to the Christian Union at St Andrews and they'd said there's this guy coming to um, to the university he's a Christian so you know look out for him and see if you can find him and uh, so this message had got through and it eventually ended up in Joe's ear that um, to watch out for an American called Aaron but she evidently misunderstood that they should have watched out for him rather than <laughs> you know, help him out, which she actually did. So I met Joe in the f- the first week of university. Um, but yeah, university was such a an amazing opportunity for me to, to meet other people who had this deep faith and who um, wanted Jesus to be the Lord of their life, who wanted to, you know, be reliant on his grace and his His uh, His guidance, um, and to, to kind of see that worked out. So I lived with a bunch of amazing Christian guys that really, um, discipled me and I hopefully helped them a little bit and we were accountable to one another and prayed with one another and um, they're still some of my best friends even now 20 years later. Um, So yeah.
0: I know that one of your passions is uh, working with young people. You're part of Rooted uh, with the young adults here and you work with uh, some of the The age group that's just going into teenage years and and that and uh, I know also that after you got the the week you got married were you doing an SU camp immediately (laughs) afterwards or something like that?
2: So yeah so Joe grew up on SU camps and one of the things almost like a a kind of the small print on her marriage contract was that you know you will experience SU camp once we're married (laughs) because i would never been to like Christian camps or things like that growing up Um, so I thought okay I'll go along so we went off on honeymoon and came straight from honeymoon to an su camp being led by my in-laws um so it was really intense (laughs) but um it didn't didn't scare me off so um we've we've done hundreds of su camps and weekends since then and it's just such a, a deeply um yeah just a wonderful part of my my you know faith journey to kind of get to have the opportunity to learn about God in these intense bubbles of Christianity, these intense faith communities where you have purpose, where you have, um, you know, a common goal to reach out to these kids um, practically and and lovingly and graciously. Um, so it's, it's been such a wonderful part of our family life. And for Finley and Molly, who Finley's probably been to like 50 camps or something like that. It's just ridiculous. The number of things that he's been to um over the years and he's uh he's got himself muddy and wet in all sorts of locations around scotland as a result of scripture union so it's just a precious thing to us
0: yes and one of the things you love to do is teach the, the word of god and to share that do you have a favorite verse out of the bible that means a lot to you
2: well, I was thinking about that Ian gave me a, a little tip that he was gonna do that. So um, <laughs> there's so many passages in the Bible that are that are amazing and speak to different situations and different um, things. And one of the great things about the Bible in one year that we've been doing is just the, the chance to be reminded of all these. I've really enjoyed and valued that that chance to kind of have a structured look through and be like, oh wow, it says that in the Bible. I, I forgot about that. So, but one of the, the kind of, um, verses that's most precious to me is um, uh, in the book of Zephaniah. So it's Zephaniah uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 17, and it says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he'll no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And I just love that beautiful, intimate picture of God's heart that, you know, he... You know, we are these mucky pups who've been wandering all over and we're filthy dirty, we've got skint knees, but we've come home to the Father, this great loving Father who's tidied us up. And now in this in this sort of intimate, beautiful kind of scene, he's sitting and singing over us this song of joy. And I just love that, that kind of singing can be such a, a kind of personal thing. And this idea that God himself is singing over us, mm-hmm. I just find beautiful. So, it's, uh,
0: it's a wonderful verse of scripture and uh, it's very precious to us at Holy, Holy Trinity as well. Um, I, I don't know if you know this, it used to be the code downstairs. To the do- <laughs> it's not anymore so you can't break in, but, uh, that's, but that's how you're, uh, you're used to remember it. But it is this wonderful thing that God rejoices over you. Well, we, we love having you part of Holy Trinity and uh, you're going to be sharing uh, by reading the Word of God to us today. So why don't you do that? do. All right.
2: So our um, scripture reading this morning comes from Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 16, through chapter 9, verse uh, where are we? 5a. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their roofs and in the courtyards, in the, court, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all the foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God standing on the stairs of the Levites, where Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shabaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Bani, and Canani, they cried out in loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah stood up and said, stand up, and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to him. Amen. Amen. When uh, I was speaking to
0: Aaron this week, he said, I'm happy to share my testimony, but it's not very exciting. And then he said, he said, but I guess it's the, I guess it's the testimony you want for your children. And I think that's the thing to, to remember. You know, sometimes we can hear the most amazing testimonies where God has, uh, has taken someone out of the very pit. But actually, what is the testimony we want for our children at Holy Trinity? We want them, there's no time where they do not know God, where God's love surrounds them every day and they follow Him every day of their lives with joy and with excitement. Thanks for sharing with us this morning. We're going to worship God and sing all glory to God who is able. Well, thanks to Naomi and to Fiona for leading us so beautifully. We're going to be looking at uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 and 9 and together, and of course our theme has been from survival to revival. Let's ask for God's help as we come to His Word. Father God, only You can revive our hearts. Only you can reach down into the deepest, darkest pits and lift us up and set our feet upon our ark. And we come to you today humbly asking that you would help us as we come to your word to hear what you have to say to us. And so we pray that the speaker would decrease so that Jesus Christ of Nazareth would increase. For we ask it in his holy name. Amen. Revival is an unusually powerful move of the Holy Spirit of God such that church is revived and whole communities of people who previously didn't want anything to do with God suddenly are hungry and desperate to enter the kingdom of God. In 1904, there was an amazing, tremendous revival in the country of Wales. You'll see a picture up there of a a man called uh, Evan Roberts, and uh, you may have heard of his name. He was a young preacher, just twenty-six, and uh, he'd gone to the church there and he had had been visited by the Lord in a series of visions where the Lord showed him a hundred thousand souls, one for Christ. And as amazing as these visions were, they really di- disturbed him and he had lots of attack from the, the enemy because it just seemed so ridiculous. But God began to move in his church. It started at the end of a prayer meeting and after the prayer meeting they had a, a, youth, uh, a, a youth group and he went into the hall of the church, you can see a small picture of it there, and they went into the hall of the church. There was about 18 teenagers there and he began to pray this young preacher. And as he prayed, uh, he, began, he began to weep. And he felt he was to ask these young people, would they take their stand and commit their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ? And he said, nobody moved. And in fact, on their faces, they looked quite uninterested. And then he prayed again. And as he began to pray, he found himself praying a prayer that was to become the mark of the the great Welsh revival. He prayed, and it was in the language of Welsh, so we don't quite get the, the full sense of it in English. He prayed, bend us, Lord. And as he prayed that prayer, every single one of those 18 young people, one by one, began to stand up and say, I want to follow Jesus, and started to call out on the name of the Lord. Amazing things began to happen as revival actually swept, swept the whole country of Wales. And so, so significant was it, was that, was, was that 150,000 new people became members of the church in Wales in two years. Now just think about that for a moment. 150,000 people became members of the church in just that two year period. It was so significant that major newspapers would carry whole articles showing how many people had become members that week. Such was the sweep of God's move in the nation. And, And when I hear about things like that, I get goosebumps because I start to think what God can do in just a short period of time, when he moves by his Holy Spirit, and what God can do, and how much do we need it in Scotland today? I'm longing for that. I have that cry within my heart God, would you do that again? Would you do here in Wester Hales what I've heard you do? in other places. I spoke about the Lewis revival uh, last time. We've been going through the book of Nehemiah and through the book of Nehemiah we've been learning a little bit of what revival looks like and how you move from survival to revival. But how do you recognize revival when you're in it? How do you know? Are there any marks of revival? And do we have any part to play in a sovereign move of God? I, um, well some of you will know the theologian G.I. Packer. You may have heard him. Many of you will have read his very famous book, Knowing God. When I became a Christian when I was 16, uh, 15, 16 years old, uh, I really wanted to wrestle with uh, theology. And G.I. Packer was my go-to guy. Uh, that I would read. He passed away earlier this year in, in July, 93 years old. When he was uh, a young man, he was involved in a really serious car, uh, accident with a, a bread van. Uh, and he'd been hit by this uh, bread van on his bike. And the scars that were on all over his head, they were visible right up to the day he died. And when he spoke, you could see these scars on his head. And for his next birthday, Uh, He asked for a bike, a new bike, because his bike had been smashed and his mum and dad gave him a typewriter. They thought that was safer. I mean, he was devastated. He said, but something strange happened. I started to write and I started to learn that I could write. And when he went to university and he went to the Christian Union, you spoke about that, Aaron, this morning, he gave his life to the Lord Jesus and he started to write about God and he wrote many, many wonderful things. And because he had this firm belief in the sovereignty of God, he had a real interest in revival. And he speaks about five marks of revival. And as I read those five marks of revival a couple of weeks ago, I was struck by how closely they mirror what was happening in the book of Nehemiah. And so we're going to take a look at that this morning. The first mark is an awareness of the presence of God. When, when God began to move in Wales, people spoke about how thick the air was with the presence of God. I mean, so aware were people of the presence of God that, that coal miners down deep down in mines were st- suddenly struck by God was there and they'd start weeping and fall to their knees while down tough. People would start to gather from all over Wales and gather in their thousands in fields and packing into churches, suddenly drawn by something so that they would meet together. I mentioned the Lewis revival, which is so close to my heart and I grew up hearing stories about. I didn't mention this particular story in one of the very early meetings where Duncan Campbell was holding a meeting in the early days of the revival and they were, they were praying till very late at night and it was getting close to midnight. And Duncan Campbell said to a young man who was called John, he said, John, I think it's time you prayed. And this young man, and they all had caps in those days, took off his cap and he stood up and he began to pray. And he began to pray a prayer and it went like this. It it, it said, Lord, you made a promise that you would pour water on him that was thirsty and that you would flood the dry ground with your rivers, but you're not doing it. There was silence in the room. Someone was praying like that. And then after a pause, he said, Lord, I, I don't know how everyone here stands before you, I don't even know how the ministers who are here stand before you, but as far as I know my own heart, I'm standing here as an empty vessel, thirsty for you and for a manifestation of your power. And then he shouted, Lord, your honour is at stake. And all the reports were was that whole building shook and everyone was acutely aware of the presence of God. Because when God is moving in a revival time, you become so aware that God is real and God is here. In Nehemiah's day, something really strange had happened. He'd cried out to God, hadn't he, in in chapter 1. We read it weeks and weeks ago. He was calling out to God in tears that God would move. He said, remember, Lord, the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Remember with that capital N. In other words, God, you said you would be here. You said you would be present. You said you would put your name here, and your honor's at stake. And Nehemiah had prayed that prayer, and God had begun to work in the community. And something really strange happened. We read it right at the beginning of chapter 8. All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. Now, what is amazing about that is that that is, I think Rita pointed this out last week, that's 42,360 people (laughs) all gathering together in one place, but no one had commanded them to do that. No one had called a meeting. What was happening? God was moving. His presence was there among the people. I suppose this is why there's a longing in my heart for revival today, that we'd be aware of the real presence of God, because He's a real God. The second mark that J.I. Packer talks about is a responsiveness to God's word. If I read the rest of that verse, all the people, verse one, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel." God was moving among the people, and the people had to tell the religious leaders to get the Word of God out, not the other way around. We expect it to be the other way around, but this is revival time. And so the people are saying, we want to know God's Word. We want to understand God's Word. And what I find fascinating is that it was only at this point that the the leaders, the temple leaders, the Levites, the priests, it was only at this point they realized, oh, we're supposed to to explain this to the people. We're supposed to show them what it means. Listen to verse 7. The Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. This was like really radical. I mean, it sounds so obvious to us now. At the Reformation, before the Reformation happened, people were going into church, and the priests were standing up there. They were giving sermons in Latin. Nobody understood it. It was nonsense. Because you're supposed to understand these things. You're supposed to explain these things. And now the people are hungry for the Word of God. People who had forgotten about God's Word. People who had thought, oh, that's just an old book. People don't just say that today. They were saying it thousands of years ago. It's just an old book. It doesn't apply to us today, but now they're hungry for God's word. What has happened? God is reviving his people. And they don't just listen to the word and they don't just understand it. They do what it says. They put it into practice. We actually read it here in verse 13. It says, On the second day of the month, so it's only the next day. <laughs> they, they were all gathered together, 42 and a half thousand of them. They've heard the word of God, they've heard it spoken, they've understood it. The next day, the heads of all the families along with the priests and the Levites gathered round Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. Give it attention, give God's word its place. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles and palms and shade trees to make booths as it is written. And so the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs in their courtyards in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. And the whole company that had returned from the exile built booths and lived in them from the days of Joshua son of Nun until that day the Israelites had not celebrated it like this and their joy was very great. So they hear about this what is sometimes called in the NIV the festival of booths. Uh, If you grew up in church you might have heard about the festival of of, uh, the feast of tabernacles and it's sometimes called that and what they did was they said well we're going to do it. This is what God's word says and we're going to put it into practice because when God is moving in revival, people start responding to God's Word, they put it into practice and there's great joy in doing what God has spoken. Third mark of revival, according to J.I. Packer anyway, but there could be many more, uh, is sensitivity to sin. You see, God has never moved in revival without our consciences and our emotions being fully affected. In fact, it's probably true to say that every move of God is opposed by backslidden Christians who usually accuse people of emotionalism (laughs) because emotions are running high. People are weeping. People are often brought to their knees. Sometimes people start shouting out and praising God or prophesying. Sometimes people start laughing uncontrollably. And it can really upset people when we've got God in our little box and we've decided, well, God only works in this way, but not in that way. And so whenever revival comes, there's always people who will oppose that. I, I like if you've done the Alpha course, I like what uh, Nicky Gumbel quotes, uh, a letter that was written to the Times newspaper uh, in the days of Martin Lloyd-Jones at Westminster Chapel and some strange and freaky things were going on in that chapel and people were being just slain in the spirit under, with the Holy Spirit and uh, some people were uncomfortable with that and actually wrote to the newspapers complaining about what was going on in Westminster Chapel and somebody wrote back and it was printed in the Times newspaper, and it's quoted in the Alpha course, and it says how come that you can go to a football match and you can experience the the, the highs of going into the lead and then the lows of suddenly seeming like you're losing and then the highs again of winning the match, just like Scotland and entering into the Euros the other night. And you can call that a classic. Or you can go to the theatre or the cinema and you can be brought both to tears and to laughter and you go out of there going, that, 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 that's just a triumph. But go to church and start experiencing God, then that must be emotionalism. You see, when God is moving, the whole of our emotions are affected by that and we find that in the days of Nehemiah. Verse 9, then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. All the people, 42,500 of them, they're all in tears. It's got to be emotionalism, huh? God's moving. God's cutting people to the heart and they're reading out the Word of God, and the Word of God is what it claims about itself. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to pierce even to the dividing of soul and spirit. And so these people, they were cut to the heart. That's what we find in times of revival, that people, their, their consciences are seared by the Word of God, and they become so aware of their sin. And it isn't a bad thing, even though they're weeping. It's a wonderful thing because they know God's presence is there and they don't want to miss out on any moment of being with God because His presence is so wonderful and so beautiful, so magnificent. And they know from the Scripture that it's our sins that separate us from God. So we don't want any sin there. I don't know about you, but during this time of lockdown, I've become more aware of my own sins and weaknesses and frailties than since any time since I first became a Christian. But there's good news, you can still flee to Jesus. His blood is still more than capable of covering every sin so that you might come into the presence of God and experience His revival in your hearts. Fourth, I'll be quicker. The fourth mark um, of revival if we go onto to the, the next screen, liveliness in the community. It wasn't just about tears, I know <laughs> that you see when God comes the amazing things begin to happen, there's, there's the, here in the community there's, there's unity, there's passion, there's praise There's feasting, and most importantly of all, there is joy. That's what happens when God comes. That's actually the end goal. The end point, the end goal of God coming is not that you're in tears. I think there's many ministers, If, in fact most ministers if they're honest, if they preached a sermon and everyone was in tears by the end before God, they'd go home going, oh God was really moving today. I was good. I was a really good, that was good preaching. That is not the end point of a move of God. The end point is joy. That is what God wants to bring in our lives. We have to enter through the, the conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit, it's the way he works on us, but then we begin to experience, when we come to him, the forgiveness of sins. We begin to experience the Lord wiping away every tear, and we start to experience His joy. That's what we find here. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the scribe, the Levites who were instructing the people, said to them, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the Lord. In other words, they could have stopped at that and gone, God's really working here but they said wait a minute this is not the end point. Nehemiah said go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Go and feast and send some to those who have nothing prepared. Look after those who are poorer. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We love that verse here at Holy Trinity. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's one of our go-to verses but here's the end point of revival. That we would experience God's joy in our lives. That's what the people were experiencing. That's what I heard, the testimonies I've heard in the Root-Lewis revival of people just being filled with ecstatic joy in the presence of God. The last thing, the last mark of revival, you'll see there, fruitfulness in testimony. There's an outworking of God's work amongst us. It's not just for us, but it is for us, do you know what I mean? It's not just, it's not for us to keep. When God began to move uh, in Evan Roberts' church um, and began to move down coal pits, he went down there with his Bible and he started preaching to them down the coal pit because there was a fire that God had ignited in his heart to go and share the good news of Jesus. It wasn't something that they were just going to keep to their own little meetings. They wanted to tell others. Out of the Welsh Revival, you spoke, Aaron, um, I don't know if you, or you, certainly told me this week that uh, some of your, your, your family were missionaries to, uh, to India and to Pakistan. From the, the Welsh Revival, tens of thousands of men and women felt the call of God to go out to the hills in India and then on to Korea. Two years later in Korea, an incredible revival breaks out. You can read, go and read about it online and see what God… some people were martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. Tens and tens of thousands of people started to come to know Jesus Christ. And we know today in South Korea, some of the biggest churches in the world, they came out of that revival in 1905 and 1906. It was men and women who had come from the Welsh revival because they'd taken seriously God's word because God had moved. When God came in revival in 1841, here in Edinburgh, the churches in Edinburgh became the greatest funder and sender of missionaries in the whole of the world. Just think about it. not in the whole of the country, not in the whole of Britain, in the whole of the world. Because they took seriously what Jesus had said to go to all nations and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Revival is a sovereign work of God. So, God, God comes when He wants. He comes where He wants, and He comes in whatever manner He wants. But here's the thing I've learnt as I've read about God moving right down through history and God reviving us in this nation, in Scotland more than almost any other nation, is that men and women, and particularly young people, were willing to position themselves in that place where they said, God, we're longing for you to come and I'm ready for you to come and fill me. And you know, for each and one of us, we can do that. We can come before God. We can't tell God when he should come or how he should come, what manner he should come. We can't tell God, oh, you need to come to Hales, although we could ask him. But we can position ourselves in that place of humility before God and say, God, I'm longing for you to come and pour water on thirsty dry ground. I want you to bring dry bones to life. I'm longing for you to send the fire again. I'm longing for you to come as a burning, cleansing flame and turn this nation upside down to do what only you can do, that I can't do, you can't do, because we're only weak vessels, but God can do, and has done. God who is faithful and true to his promises. If you're longing for that, why don't you join me in just lifting up your hearts in prayer and your hands to God. And as that old hymn says, O God of burning." cleansing flame, send the fire, send the promised Holy Spirit into our hearts, send the promised Holy Spirit into the streets of Wester Hills, into our schools, into our hospitals, into our businesses, into the darkest, deepest depths. There's nowhere too far or too far gone for you to reach into, Lord God we ask for a day, humbly ask for a day of your salvation, a day of your might, a day of your unusual power. We confess, Lord, we're so far from that. We're so in need of you in our nation today. We've turned our backs on your word, on your laws. We've chosen our own paths we find ourselves falling. We find ourselves in a mess. We find ourselves depressed. We find ourselves lost. We need you. And Lord, if it has to start with a little naked flame, even a matchstick of a flame, Lord, ignite it today, that we might continue to ask and to seek and to knock. You said everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Lord, we pray with Isaiah, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That you would move so that men and women, boys and girls would know you, would not treat you as a light thing. That they would seek your face once again that they might come into the fullness of life and joy that is ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord. For we ask it in your holy name. Amen. We're going to worship God, and feel free to either you can sit as a reflection or you can stand in praise of God. Uh, it says, "I will, Lord, I will run to you. Let's worship God. you go from this place you go not by might or by power but by his spirit and so now may grace mercy and peace from god the father god the son and god the holy spirit rest and remain with you and all whom you love and cherish and all god's people here and everywhere both now and forevermore amen